With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. LaFleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into LaMare back to LaFleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Marinaro on this Wednesday, February 1st, and welcome to the Sick Podcast, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live on YouTube, we're live on Facebook, and we are live on Twitter. And of course, the Sick Podcast is brought to you in part by 8.6 Beer, right here, Intense by Nature, the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions just the way Pat Hickey did. We'll get to him in about a minute in order to make their mark and brought to you by LaCash. If the last time you went to LaCash was when the Habs won the cup, which is a game that I'm sure Pat Hickey covered. He'll tell us in a minute. It's time you go back to LaCash. The menu will surprise you. And of course, brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Before we bring in the legendary Pat Hickey, and yes, he is a living legend. Pat's been working in the business uh, as a journalist uh, for over 50 years, and he's going to tell us uh, everywhere he had a chance to work once again uh, shortly. But yesterday he sent out this email to everyone at the Montreal Gazette. I'm taking this opportunity to inform you that I will be taking voluntary retirement. This is not the way I envisioned the end of my newspaper career. I thought I might have exited in the same manner as Grant Wall, slumping over my computer after finishing an NNA-worthy story, but I hope my departure will provide at least a temporary reprise for someone younger and more talented. Newspapers have been described as the daily miracle, and it has been somewhat miraculous that we have been able to produce a high-quality product through an actual pandemic and a pandemic created by corporate types who have never sweated through a deadline, written a headline, or have had to deal with folks who believe all the problems of the world are created by the media. It will be no less miraculous with the latest belt tightening, although I am certain that there won't be any missed bonuses in the boardroom. I have worked for six newspapers across this country, starting with the Montreal Star in 1965. I made stops at the Gazette, Toronto Sun, the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, and Vancouver Sun, with multiple stops at three of those papers. Life lesson number one, never burn your bridges. 
I've covered stories on four continents and find it sad that the Gazette couldn't afford to cover a hockey game last weekend in Ottawa. I'm proud of all we've accomplished at the Gazette, particularly in recent years. I valued the time during the pandemic when I left the toy department and worked as a general news reporter. I joke about being on the demonstration beat, but on 10 consecutive Saturdays, I covered a total of 11 demonstrations, ranging from tenants upset with their landlords in Mile End to women whose partners were trapped outside Canada by immigration, red tape, to the granddaddy of all protests, which saw thousands of anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, QAnon, Trump supporters, Patriots, and Robert Charlebois, and the Raelians, a great name for rock groups, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and every other disaffected group through Montreal. I wish all my colleagues, past and present, well, for those who survive the latest purge, keep up the excellent work for as long as it lasts. For those who are departing, I hope you find satisfaction in whatever you do in the future. P. Valentine Hickey. Pat Hickey, how are you? I'm fine, Tony. It's nice to see you, Pat. It's good to see you. I know your career is not over yet. You got five weeks to go, but um, allow me to join everyone in saying what a what a great career you've had, Pat. Even though it's not over yet. Well, thank you, Tony. I'm you know I, I'm very proud of what I've done over the years. Uh, you know, I think I've I've tried to work hard. I've tried to be honest. I've tried to be um, you know informative. Try to tell stories. I mean, that's the important thing. I've always seen myself as a storyteller. That's part of what journalism is, telling stories and, and communicating with people, and uh, that's what I've tried to do. You know, Pat, even though you and I have, um, you know, worked in the communications but in different forms, uh, you in, in print journalism and myself for the most part in radio, uh, I always saw you as a little bit of a mentor, even though we weren't doing exactly the same thing, but we were, reason being, you know, I said a lot of stupid things, and every time I did, you put me in my place right away, and you you made sure you told me about it. And uh, I think I've done less stupid things over the last <laughs> couple of years. I did a lot more at the beginning, you know, a young member of the media trying to find my way. Sometimes you do a little bit too much. And when I crossed the line, uh, you would tell me. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes you would tell me and my bosses wouldn't even tell me. And mm -hmm. uh, just know, Pat, that I appreciate that. Well, one of the things I've always tried to do, Tony, is, is I've always tried to uh, to work with young younger reporters and try to do the same thing that at the beginning of my career, I got advice and help from Red Fisher and Ian McDonald. And uh, I tried to do the same thing for young reporters. I pride myself on some of the people that I've hired over the years. Uh, you know, who have done very well in this business. And and I've always tried to do, you know, help with people who may not, who, who in, in essence, are competitors. And uh, because I think it's important for people to to do the right things and, and, and uh, you know, approach it in the right way. And, and I like to think that I've helped some people along the way and, and, and tried to, to make them better journalists. And uh, so that's that's what I've always I've always tried to do. Pat, walking away so that you can save a younger journalist's job, uh, man, that's one of the most noble things uh, and one of the most honorable things I, I think I've ever seen anyone do. Because it's not everyone who would do it. Um, geez, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know if I'd be able to do that if I got to that yeah. point. But uh, let me ask you this, Pat: uh, How much more did you have in you? Oh, I, I think I had a lot more. I think I still have a lot more, and 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 I'm I'm probably not going to to do it in this business, but I think I'm still going to be able to contribute in some way. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be yet. Um, you know, I think that I think there's a book that I want to write. Um, I think that I may end up doing some teaching um, and and trying to do some of the same things. I always told people, you know, people would say, why, why aren't you retired? And I'm going to be 79 in April. And I still have a lot of energy. I, I always said, I'll keep doing this as long as it's fun. 
I mean, people people were paying me, you know, an obscene amount of money for for going to sports events, and uh, and I would have continued doing it if if this situation had not arisen. And mm-hmm. uh, I just I, I was on a Zoom call after they announced the uh, the cuts originally. Uh, Post media announced they were going to cut 11 percent across the the country. And that would have meant three, maybe four people at the Gazette. And I thought, well, you know, there's probably some people that, that want out and, and, you know, we'll be, able to, we'll be able to do that. But then they announced that there were going to be 10 cuts in Montreal, which is 25% of the, of the, uh, wow. uh, the workforce, of the, of the newsroom. And we were on a Zoom the, the next day, and there were probably 25 people on there. And you could see people who were visibly upset, the younger people. These are people with, you know, children, mortgages. And, you know, it would have been a major blow to them to, you know, lose their jobs. Uh-huh. And, and it's always the younger people, you know, who, who, get, who get the, uh, the short end of the stick. So I, I, I thought at that point, I mean, it, it, my conscience told me that I, I had to go. And uh, so, uh, you know, I can do something else. Um, I, I don't need a lot of money. Um, I'm in a good position. And uh, so it was it was time. You worked with Stu Cowan for how long? I worked with Stu, well, since 87, I guess, when I came back to Montreal. Wow. Let's bring him. Let's bring him on right now. Stu Cowan from the Montreal Gazette. Welcome, Stu. Uh, what can you tell us about this gentleman that we haven't heard already? Well, Pat and I go a long way back. Pat remembers me when I had hair. That's how far <laughs> back we go. Um, you know, as Pat's, I mean, what Pat's done, um, we don't know who's going to be laid off at the Gazette. We don't know who the people are going to be gone. But one, one last person is going to be gone because of Pat and what he's done. And anybody who knows Pat isn't surprised because a man's heart, he's got a heart of gold. Everybody knows that. I know that. I know. I spend more time with Pat during the hockey season than I spend with my wife or kids probably. <laughs> and, you know, we've traveled together. We sit side, next to each other in the press box. And anybody who knows Pat, the first thing, that, apart from the great journalist he is and the great guy, is he's got a heart of gold. And uh, this is the latest example of that. And uh, I'm really fortunate. I'm one of the most lucky guys in Montreal sports media uh-huh. because Pat, Pat talked about the people that he hired, and I'm sure he'll go into this later in the podcast. He made a lot of incredible hirings. He didn't hire me. It was Red Fisher who was sports editor because that when he hired me. But I was a young guy in the business, and my three mentors were Red Fisher, Pat Hickey, and Michael Farber. Not too shabby. Doesn't get any better than that. Three that's, Hall of Famers. That's three Hall of Famers right there. So I've learned so much from all three of them. Three different personalities, three different styles of writers, but three great professionals, three great men, and three guys who did the job right. And I just, I was a sponge. I just soaked it up and learned so much from all three of those guys. And I'm, I wouldn't be sitting here now if it wasn't for the help of, well, first for Red for hiring me. And then from what I learned from Pat, uh, both working as an editor on the news desk. Uh, Pat was sports editor at a time. He was my boss. And later I was sports editor and I was his yeah. boss. Um, uh, but just learning how to be uh, an editor, how to be a, a writer, how to be a columnist and how to be a good person. Pat, you said a couple of minutes ago that you still have a lot to do and you'll probably be doing it and, you know, you'll probably be doing other stuff, but you also said that you love doing what you do and you love writing. So my question to you is, have you thought about writing for somebody else or in some other way, shape or form or? There really, unfortunately, there isn't, you know, there aren't any outlets out there. Um, you know, I mean, everybody's contracting. There's fewer jobs. Uh, you know, I was, um, I know that when the athletics started, for example, I think that there were a lot of people in the newspaper business who felt threatened by it. I thought it was a good thing because it, it meant there were more jobs, there were more opportunities for people to express themselves and, and, and there were going to be people that were being forced out at other places and, uh-huh. and uh, you know, that was suddenly, you know, had an outlet to write. Um, uh, you know, I, I suppose I could 
suppose I could start the sickest podcast or the terminally ill podcast. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that's not that's not me, you know. So uh, as I say, I think people have been urging me for years to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure there are enough people that are dead yet uh, that I can, uh, you know, be totally honest in it. But uh, you know, it, I, I anybody who knows me knows I I have a lot of stories. Yeah. And and there's a lot of stories that, that that haven't been told, and there are a lot of stories that deserve retelling. Yeah, and, um, you know, Pat. I mean, besides uh, besides the book, if you want to write more, I you know I know a podcast that I can think of that you can write for the podcast. You make your own hours. You you write an article a week if you want, or you write two articles a week, or you write an article every second week. You pick the sport. If it's the Habs, great. If it's something else, I, I know a podcast that you can write for, Pat. Do you? Okay. Do, do I get paid in beer or, or character? <laughs> you know, Pat, I, I I I moved over to a podcast, and I'm making more money now than I ever did. So, no, you, you'll get paid in uh, – you, you'll get direct deposit every couple of weeks, Pat. Yeah. Well, it's a possibility. I mean, it's something to think about, Tony, and it's just uh, – um, but you know, I'm just hey, I'm going to do something. I I, I might uh, I might teach. Um, what do you want to teach, Pat? Uh, I would teach. Uh, I would be a supply teacher. You know, substitute teacher. Mm-hmm. I was hoping uh, you would uh, teach English. I would take a class. I, would, I, <laughs> I still haven't figured it out. Fifty well, years. Tony, later. Pat Pat's got at least two books that he has to write. One yeah. is the Pat Hickey story. Anybody who's ever been fortunate enough in the media to say, "Well, it used to be Red Fisher's table." in the media room and it's become Pat's table. Uh, and I'm sure red loves that red and Pat were great friends and had great mutual respect, but Pat's got a million stories, a million stories. Pat, who's your, uh, uh and before I heard one the other day, from- who's my what? I think, I think Stu was cutting up Stu. If you could just, you were cutting up for a second there. Oh. We just missed the last couple of seconds. Go ahead. Okay, so I was saying that he's got at least two two books he can write. Yeah. All the stories that he shares when he's sitting at the media table in, in the lounge. And I heard one the other day I'd never heard before from colleague John Mahoney. Uh, Pat's brilliant. I don't know how many people know just how smart this guy is. When we used to work on the sports desk at 7 o'clock or whatever time Jeopardy would come on, this is back when we had like four or five editors every night on the sports desk, yeah. all work would stop while Pat Hickey and Paul Carbra, used to be an editor at the Gazette, would watch Jeopardy. And make the rest of us all feel like we're dummies. Like they would be firing out the answers as soon as they were coming out. And we just sit there and go, oh, my God, how stupid am I? Or, but it wasn't a case of how stupid am I. It's how smart these guys were. Um, so, Pat, he's got, he's got a million stories to share. And he's also, I keep, I've told, he'll tell you, I've told Pat this for years. He needs to write an NHL travel book. You know, when I started traveling with the Canes and I, I moved from sports editor to columnist about seven years ago and started going on the road, I went to these NHL cities I'd never been to before. Yeah. So the first call I always made was, Pat, what hotel should I stay at? Pat, what hotel, what restaurant should I go to? And Pat, where should I go for beer after the game? And he never steered me wrong in any place I've ever been. And it's not the touristy place that everybody knows. Pat knows all the best places in all the cities uh, in the NHL. And, you know, back when the Canes made the playoffs six or seven years ago in New York, and Pat's from New York, he knows the city like the back of his hand. Yeah. Uh, we, we traveled together. We roomed together down there. We were together 24-7. And he showed me New York, the cool spots, the spots that only a real New Yorker would know. And later that year, that summer, my daughter at the time was about 17, 18, and I took her to New York City. And I earned major cool dad points because I knew my way around New York City. And my daughter was like, how do you know where all these places are? Pat Hickey. So Pat's got to write at least two books, one on his life story. There's a million stories, and they're fantastic, and one an NHL travel book. And I think where I cut off, uh, John Mahoney, the photographer, I think is that showing just how Pat's mind works. Uh, he talked to so I think they were in Carolina. There was about 12 guys went out for dinner, French guys, English guys in the media. The bill came. Pat opened the bill. He glanced at it, closed it, and said, okay, it's uh, $82.50 each, and that includes a tip. And John Mahoney went and had a calculator and he did it and bang on right to the penny. So (laughs) Pat, apart from being a great guy and a great storyteller, he's he's got a brilliant mind. Pat, um, where did you grow up exactly? Where were you raised? When did you come to Canada? I grew up in New York. I was born in Queens, uh, lived in Brooklyn until I was five or six. Moved out to Long Island, went to high school in Manhattan for a couple of years. 
Um, Gee, so, my, you know, one, York, my, my, dad's, my dad's best friend lives in Long Island. Yeah. And, Farmingdale. And then I came to Canada in 1962 to go to university in, in Halifax, St. Mary's University. Um, I was there for three years. Uh, I was I was going to work for the Halifax Chronicle Herald, Mail Star, and I came to visit some friends in Montreal. And uh, I, I basically dropped out of school. I wanted to. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in a newspaper. And uh, I came to Montreal, and it was a guy named George Hansen who worked at the Montreal Star. And he had worked in Halifax before, so I knew him. Uh-huh. And I ran into him, and, and he said there's an opening at the at the Montreal Star. And I went down and interviewed it. They, they said, no, you know, we need someone more experienced. You know, your clips are good, but, you know, stuff from college newspapers and a couple of freelance stuff from the Halifax uh, Chronicle Herald. And uh, But then I, I fell in love with Montreal, uh, and I got a job working for Allied Chemical. And the day I was supposed to start working for them, the Montreal Star called me up and said, we're going to give you a trial. And so I had to call up Allied Chemical and say, you know, I'm supposed to start work today, but I won't be in. Wow. That's <laughs> uh, great. And then I, I found out later that this Allied Chemical was going to pay me $40 a week more than the, the Montreal Star was. Um, but uh, but I, I worked for them. Uh, as I said, Red was my mentor, Ian McDonald. Um, Red taught me how to how to be a newspaper man, and Ian told me taught me how to fill out an expense account. Well, I, Mac, I, Mac I, was I, Mac was another mentor for me too when I talked about yeah. how fortunate I was yeah. when I got in the business. But he's a great guy. Right, you got to tell the story about how there was a time you were working, I think, two jobs and going to university and playing for the university basketball team all at the same time. Well, no, I, I, there was a period of two years where I worked two jobs. I worked at the CBC and I worked at the Montreal Star. In fact, in fact, for those two years, I made more money at the CBC than I did at the Montreal Star. Wow. And, but then after that, I, I left my CBC job and I, I worked full time and I went to school full time at Sir George Williams, finished my degree. And I also played basketball at Sir George. <laughs> So, and I had two kids at the time too. So wow. Wow. It was, uh, it was just a, it was a question of time management. Well, the, the, the biggest, the biggest lesson, Tony, the biggest yeah. lesson I probably learned from Pat along among the many, many lessons I learned is work ethic. Nobody works harder than Pat Hickey. I remember when I was sports editor and Pat, I think it was a Canadian's practice he covered in the morning and it was a Saturday. So I was at home, I was off and Pat calls me and he says, uh, Oh, I'm looking at the paper. I see the GMAA football, uh, high school football finals this afternoon at Molson Stadium. Is anybody covering it? And I said, no, nobody's covering it, but we have a photographer there and somebody's going to call in the score and we'll get something. And he says, well, I'll go cover it. I said, Pat, it's 20 below zero outside. It was a cold, like, November day or whatever. It was freezing. I said, Pat, don't worry. You got the hockey. No, 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 no. So Pat went to the – after going to the practice, he went to Molson Stadium, covered the high school football final in freezing temperatures, Went to the Bell Center. I imagine you wrote the story at the Bell Center, Pat, and then covered the hockey game that night. And that's just the word. As, yeah. as a sports editor, Pat was a dream because he would cover everything and anything yeah. and never complain about but, it. But, Stu, that's never not that's not only about work ethic, but you're right. It's a big part of it. It's also about loving what you do. That, that's true. Yeah. Right. True. And Pat had a love for sports, whether it was covering the Canadians, covering the high school football final, covering the cycling on Mount Royal, covering the tennis, which I know is, is a real passion for Pat. But whatever he covered, he he, you know, he, he went into it 100%. It wasn't like uh, you know, half-hazardly do this or whatever. He put 100% into everything he ever wrote, and that's a big lesson yeah. uh, that I learned from Pat. And and you look at the stuff he, he's covered over the years, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, there's not a sport he didn't cover. And he said – you know, during COVID, he was covering. Uh, he, he was working as a reporter on the news desk. I was working as an editor on the news desk. He was covering, you know, all kinds of different stuff that that and never complained once about it. Just went and did his job and and was happy to do it. Pat, I would uh, obviously uh, never ask you how much money you're making right now, but the curiosity is killing me. Your first job uh, writing. Can you tell us, or you remember how much you paid? 
Uh, sixty-five dollars a week. Sixty-five dollars a week. That was uh, back draft when? beer was what ten cents then, Pat? Draft beer was ten cents. That's right. <laughs> ten cents. Wow. Uh, okay. A pint was a pint was thirty-five cents, and uh, and a quart was seventy cents. Wow. So that was that was what year exactly? And that was nineteen sixty-five. Night. So sixty-five dollars a week in nineteen sixty-five was considered. Good money, average money. What was it considered? No, it was it was it was not considered good money at all. It was wow, uh, really. I mean, after three months, I got I got a bump to ninety two dollars. Okay, and then That's good. I went to the Gazette in sixty seven. Uh, they offered me the Alouettes beat, and uh, I think I was covering university football and filling in with some junior hockey and and occasional Canadians practices and and. Uh, uh, but they offered me a, a Canadians, the, the uh, Alouettes beat, and I got bumped to uh, $130. Wow. And then um, and then when the union came in a little later, I went back to the star when Red became the sports editor. That was the deal. Uh, I asked him whether I should go to the Gazette, and he said, yeah, it's a great opportunity to get a beat and, and, um, and make a little more money. And then when when uh, when he became the sports editor, he called me up one day. He said, "You got to put in your notice because you're coming back here." Wow. <laughs> hey Pat, were well, you were you in Montreal when the Canadians won six cups in the 70s, 71, 73, 76, I, 77, 78, 79? I was there till seventy five. I went to. I, I was a sports editor, and uh, I was named sports editor in seventy four, and I lasted. About a year. That was at the Star, Pat. At the Star, yes. And and I lasted. Uh, the reason why I left was the the Olympics were coming, and I was management. And the union said I couldn't I couldn't write. So I figured here's the biggest sports event I'm ever going to see in my life, and I'm not going to be able to write it. I'm going to be sitting in an office, and uh, the Toronto Sun offered me a, an wow. opportunity to cover the Olympics, go to Toronto. Uh, my wife at the time was an actress. It was a better move for her, and uh, so we we moved uh, we moved in seventy five. So you were in Montreal until seventy five before coming back. Uh, when you were in Montreal until seventy five, were you writing sports? I was writing sports. Yes. Wow. But so I, you, the last year I wasn't because I was the sports editor. You covered that amazing seventy one Cup win then. I did cover that. Yes, I, I I didn't cover as the main guy. Red did. Yeah, you know, I did sidebars and and things like that. A lot of Hall of Famers on that team, eh? I did. I did the first two games of the Summit Series. Oh wow! All right. So is that uh, out of out of every sporting event you've written about? Was was does that one is that one way up there the Summit Series or was there another event that you just was your favorite? It was it was okay, you know. It was I mean you know I mean they they lost the first game, which was a bit of a downer, and they, they yeah. came back to win the second game in Toronto. Um, I was I was I covered the New Year's Eve game for the Toronto Sun, and and I I would disagree with all the people who say it was the greatest game ever. I thought it was a pretty bad game. And the, I mean, Dryden the, was terrible. The three-three uh, game, Dryden was terrible, and Tretziak was pretty Tretziak good. Tretziak was good, and, and yeah. you know the, the rest of the players were sort of you know. I mean, it was a good game, but it wasn't was certainly wasn't the greatest game ever played. You know, it's funny you say that, Pat, because I, I've watched them over and over, and I always thought the same thing. It was a good game, but it was nowhere close to like seventy-nine, the Canadians and the Bruins game seven, yeah. right? Nowhere close. Yeah. Yeah. That New Year's Eve game got better as the years went on, right, Pat? The <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, was, I mean I my friend Todd Deneau wrote a book about it, you know, called The Greatest Game Ever. And, uh, you know, as I say, it was it was a good game. It was, you know, coming on the heels of the uh, uh, of the Summit Series. There was a lot of excitement, you know, Russia, Canada. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was not, uh, um, you know, it wasn't the greatest game ever. Uh, the, the highlight of my career was I covered John Bellow's 500th goal. Wow. Um, you know, which was, which is a big thing because uh, Red normally would have covered that game. He was tied up with uh, TV or radio that night. And he said, you're going to do the game. 
And then when Bellabo scored the 500th goal, he had a hat trick, and nobody expected that. I, I said to Red F, you know, I said, do you want to do the game story? He said, no, it's all yours, kid. And, um, you know, I ended up on the front page. Um, you know, I ended up on the front page a couple of times, uh, 93 when they won the when they won the cup, the last Pretty cup. cool, pretty cool. Um, I, I, got, I ended up on the front page when um, – um, uh, two bombings, one in Atlanta. I was wow. a, I was a block away from the when the bomb went off during the Olympics. Wow! And another time, I was in, I was in London when the IRA lobbed the bomb into, um, into the prime minister's backyard, and I wrote a story on that, which ended up on the front page. And well, so um, the the article. And, and by the way, I'll actually I'll get to this in a second. We just were talking about great hockey games. I don't know about you gentlemen, but for me, and keep in mind, though, right? I was born in 72, so I really started remembering hockey probably started in the 80s. But I, my first recollection was the Lafleur goal in 79. I really remember that. I really do because it was a, there was a huge scream in the house. My dad was pretty excited. Um, and there was my, my, my love for Guy Lafleur was born. But the best hockey guys I ever watched was the 87 Canada Cup. The three that games, was, Canada versus USSR, Gretzky and Lemieux. What do you think? That was amazing hockey. That was yeah. it, it was amazing hockey. Yes, the yeah. talent on the talent on both of those teams was incredible, especially on the Canadian team. That was that was amazing hockey. I'm old enough to remember. I mean, I'm younger than Pat, but I remember the you know Paul Henderson's goal in the '72 Summit Series in Game yeah. Eight. So I was uh, I was nine at the time, so I was in grade four or whatever it was. I remember watching it in school, like so many other kids that age did. So that's that's a game that stays in my memory probably the same way the 87 game does with you, Tony. Yeah. I watched it in school. I was, I was back at St. George Woods, uh, uh, for that game. And the prof was, was smart enough to cancel the classes that afternoon. Yeah. And I watched the first two paragraphs, the first two periods in, uh, uh, in a hallway at St. George Williams on a black and white screen. And then I went across to the pipe and drum, which is across the street from Sir George Williams. I watched the third period there, and of course everybody went crazy when when Henderson scored the goal, and the whole city went crazy. I mean, I don't think there were too many people that weren't watching the game that afternoon. Pat, some 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 great stories, and I think we're going to get to a couple more in a second. But you know, um, I have to ask you: Are you worried about the business? Sure. I mean, I mean, you'd be crazy not to worry about the business. Um, you know, you look at advertising revenues are going down. Uh, I think that with these layoffs, the quality at the Gazette, which, I mean, I can't say enough about all the hardworking people there who have who worked to create a uh, an outstanding product every day. And and it's just going to be more and more difficult for them to do that as, as time goes on. And you don't know whether there's going to be more layoffs. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's sad to see all the talented people who put the effort and time in that they do. Um, but I mean, the reality is that we, we've lost our advertising base. Um, Stu can remember the days when we had, a lot of automobile dealers advertising mm-hmm. it. It was it was such part a, of our advertising department only dealt with automobiles. We had a section that only sold out of automobiles of that, and we and we every year they would have a golf tournament to thank all these car dealers for for doing business with us. But that's gone now. Everybody goes to Auto Trader if they want something. Yeah, you know, I hear you. I millions of dollars now. GG, um, you know, there's uh, there's no more. There's no more entertainment, movie advertising. You know, again, that's all online. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just you, you're depending upon people buying the product. But yet, at the same time, you, you're you probably giving them less product in return. And that's, you know, I mean, the size of the paper is, is shrinking, you know, every month. And, uh, you know, we, we try to get as much stuff out there online as we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, but not everybody, not everybody is, is, in tu- is attuned to that. 
And a lot of people, got, a lot of people, got, 29 years old. I don't think he's ever read a newspaper. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people in his generation that, that are like that. And uh, it, it's not that he doesn't get news. He just doesn't get it from, from a newspaper, either online or, or an actual yeah. newspaper. Well, I remember speaking to some journalism classes and that and asking how many of you get the paper at home or read the paper at home and like maybe five kids would put up their hands and I said how many of you five kids live at home with your parents and the same hands would go up yeah, yeah. So the younger generation I mean you know I'm in a lot of airports Pat you're in a lot of airports or at least we used to be during the, the Canadian season and like you'd see somebody reading a newspaper you'd almost stop in your tracks but people are reading consuming more news than ever Everybody's reading on their phones or reading on their computer or reading on whatever. The problem now is, as Pat said, we have a lot more on the Gazette website than we have in the, in the paper. A lot of older people don't want to make the switch, but that switch is going to come whether they like it or not, not just with the Gazette, the print product everywhere is, is in danger. Mm -hmm. And the problem online is, is people don't want, once, once you put up a paywall, people don't want to pay for anything, right? People don't want to, for whatever reason, don't want to pay whatever the, the, the fee is uh, for the news. And it makes it difficult. And then for advertising online, Google and, and Facebook and those giants suck up so much of online ad revenue. So it's, yeah. it's not just the Gazette. It's any, whether it's Sports Illustrated, whether it's any publication, it's, it's, it's difficult times. And especially in the newspaper business. It's, it's funny. Uh, business. In our situation, I mean, you want people to, to buy it, but there's probably 35 to 40% of people who don't care about sports. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and and you get people who you know care about sports, they'll, they'll put the money into the athletic or some other product. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I remember I remember getting a, a smartphone the first time I got a smartphone, however many years ago, and thinking I'm never going to read anything on a phone. Yeah. But now I read. I'm probably like you, Tony. Also, I read almost everything on my phone now. Yeah, I hear you. It's but just. You know, way, it, but I grew up like I grew up. Every morning, I had my bowl of cereals, my Captain Crunch, or whatever it was with the Gazette scoreboard page yeah, and studying all the stats. And my first job in the Gazette sports section was doing the scoreboard page. And on a Sunday, it was two full pages with, you know, because we didn't, uh, we didn't publish on Sunday. And so Sunday for Monday was a 12 hour shift. And it was, that's how I got in. I mean, that, that page yeah. was gone for a long time. It's just a, you know, Pat mentioned the car advertising classified was the first thing to sort of leave the newspaper business. Yeah. The old yeah. Saturday Gazette would have three sections of classified ads. So it's, it's, Times have changed, and and the newspaper business has tried to change along with it, and it it's, hasn't been easy. I mean, classified yeah. ads, right? The the, the ticket yeah. brokers and stuff like that. People that were scalping tickets or selling, oh, tickets. selling anything, selling you your house, selling your car, selling your old couch, selling whatever, and then and 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 Stu and, and Pat, we were so dependent, so much more on newspapers in the past. You remember, uh, like I'm 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 a big fan of hockey pools and fantasy and stuff like that. Right? We used to wake up the next day and go to the to the Montreal Gazette newspaper to take a look at the box scores and who picked up a goal and who mm -hmm. picked up an assist. And you know, you remember. You remember the, the whole drill, right? We take a loose leaf and we take a, a pencil and we start writing down the amount of points our players picked up and we would add it all up ourselves. And, you know, you, you talked about a paywall and I'm going to tell you something and I have nothing against any publication or, or anyone that sets up a paywall for their work. But when we met with Agnello and Sammy a couple of years ago and they told me that they wanted to start up the sick podcast, I asked them about setting up a paywall and Patreon and stuff and they didn't want to know nothing. They wanted it to be... Uh, free content for everyone and they said no you know and i said how are you going to raise uh how are you going to create you know revenue and, and they said well we'll 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 have a free product we're going to try and make it a great product and you know it's going to get a lot of views and uh and uh, it's going to get a lot of uh, a lot of engagement a lot of impressions and it's going to make a lot of noise and it's going to reach a lot of homes and at that point, advertisers are going to jump on board and they're going to pay for the advertising. And that's the way we're going to do it. But they wanted it to be free content for everyone. And I look back on their decision today. And, and once again, I have nothing against those who set one up, but I think it was a good decision to offer free content. Because one of the things I'm noticing is that, you know, um, people just they don't have a habit of paying for too many of these podcasts or too many of these papers or services anymore right it's right no. it's yeah. right but there's also for real journalism it costs money to pay real journalists right and right you know it's uh we're down we're going to be down to about 30 people in the gazette and i pat you and i remember the days and you go back further than me there was hundreds uh, you know when i was first named sports editor 
I, there was we had a full-time secretary for sports. We had, I think there was eight reporters probably at the time, just sports. And there was like five or six editors who were just sports. And then as time went on, you know, the, the secretary was the first to go. And then there was more and more and more. And now we're at the point we are now. And it's, as I said, it's not just the Gazette, it's the newspaper business in, in, in general, in, in, in many ways. And it's, uh, it's, it's, these are difficult times for anybody in this business. And again, just to applaud Pat for what he did mm-hmm. to save, he saved somebody's job. We don't know whose job that is yet. We'll find out. Uh, it could have been mine. I mean, I figure I'm okay with the seniority I have, but you never like, we yeah. don't happening. I mean, there's people with less seniority than me. So, it'll, 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 but somebody is going to have a job in five weeks that wouldn't have had a job. If it wasn't for Pat. Yeah. Doing yeah. Pat, a couple of minutes ago, you talked about in the newspaper, there were so many ads from car dealerships, Speaking of cars, we have to talk about you traveling on the road from city to city in your car, of course. So a lot of people heard about it, don't quite understand why you did it. Was it, did he love to drive? Was he afraid of planes? Did he think the travel was easier driving? Or was it because he was paid by kilometer? Or was it all of the above? Which one was it, Pat? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm not afraid of planes. Uh, I, I enjoy flying. I don't like airports and I don't like airlines. Um, I figured the last year that we, we had a full season and traveled, I, I computed that we, I lost more than a hundred hours in flight delays and, and cancellations. And I remember one time I was flying from Winnipeg to Minneapolis, a one hour flight, got to the airport seven o'clock in the morning, uh, the airport was closed. There was a storm, and so they closed the airport. And then we finally got on a plane at noon, and we couldn't move because the brakes had frozen. Wow. We're in Winnipeg. If you don't understand this cold weather there, and you can't keep the brakes from freezing, you got a problem. And we eventually left at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and Thanks. got to Minneapolis. You know, I, I got there just in time for the national anthem. Uh, J.F. Chaumont uh, got a cab and and he was a few minutes behind me but the cab's transmission quit about four blocks from the arena and then he had a fight with the driver whether he was going to have to pay or not and then the driver wouldn't open the trunk to get his, uh, <laughs> his bag out. out and now he's got to drag uh, a roller bag through four blocks of snow uh, you know they're just not built for that and he wow. showed up halfway through the second, first period. The, T, the RDS crew had to deal with the Carnets at Customs, and they didn't get there till till halfway through the second period. Um, I had another, the same season, I had a flight from St. Louis to Montreal with a stopover in LaGuardia. And I get to LaGuardia around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I find out that my flight to Montreal has been canceled. But I've been rebooked. I'm at LaGuardia, and I've been rebooked at JFK at 7 o'clock the next morning. So I go to American Airlines, and I say, you know, look, um, I don't really know much about New York. Uh, I'm an old guy. Uh, I need some advice here. So, well, we're going to put you up at the LaGuardia Hilton, uh, LaGuardia uh, Holiday Inn. And I said, but, but isn't LaGuardia... Isn't JFK on the other side of, of the island? You know, it's, it's distance. Oh. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, can you get something closer to JFK? So they said, okay. You know, I did some fooling around. They said, we can get you into the, the JFK Hilton. I said, that'd be fine. And we'll get you a limo to take you there, get your luggage. So I get my luggage. I get in the limo. I go to JFK Hilton get there on four o'clock. I drop my bags off in the, in the hotel room. I grab the shuttle to the airport. I take the air train into Jamaica. I take the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan. I have dinner in Manhattan. I see Ethan Hawke in American Buffalo on Broadway. I get back in time. I have a $50 voucher uh, for food. And I get back to the Hilton in time to spend the $50 at the bar. And uh, and I wake up the next morning at five thirty and take take my flight back to Montreal. 
I, right. I used to wonder, Tony, I used to wonder why Pat drove. I did like, like, yeah. like why would you drive to Boston? Then he used to, you remember me telling me, well, I can drive to Boston quicker than I can fly. And when you factor in the time, especially now that you have to be at the airport early and by the time you get through customs and by the time you do everything else, and it, it, he's right. And from the traveling I've done since then, over the last six, seven years, and especially this season, I think in November, December, they was in nine or 10 different NHL cities. However many flights, it's more than 10 with some connecting flights, say 15 flights. The only flight I was on that actually left and landed on time was the one that got me home on Christmas Eve, right. which I'm thankful for because I was sure I wasn't going to make it home. But from Dallas, they played in Dallas, I think on the 23rd. So I understand that Pat, when Pat talks about sitting around waiting in airports, I haven't done it as long as he has. And it's a real there's so much about the jobs that we have they're fantastic and people say oh you get to travel it's wonderful it's wonderful once you get there yeah <laughs> there sometimes can be can be a real don't worry Stu. christmas eve flights are great because the pilot wants to get to where well, that's true too to on time. but as pat says pat's told me like if he gets in his car at eight in the morning or whatever going to boston he knows what time he's going to get to boston you know give or take maybe an hour depending on traffic but you know you're going to get there and then once you get there you also have your own car so you're mobile yeah, but you know, this is what I, I I think it's pretty cool, Pat, because the difference being though is that Stu, you could relax in a plane. When you're in a car, you yeah. obviously you have to have your full attention because you're driving. I'm not one who drives well. Like I I just I uh yeah. I can't do more than a trip to Boston. Like more than that, like if I had to go to Toronto, I'd have to stop. I can't drive more than five hours. I just well, Pat loves Pat loves to drive too. I know that. Yeah. When the Canes yeah, I, I, I'm driving, relaxing. I put on I put on NPR. I put on ESPN Radio. Um, I, I I find it relaxing. And as I say, I can stop somewhere if I want to stop and and pick up some groceries on the way back. If I want to stop and do some shopping. If I want to stop and visit friends. Um, you know, it, it's it's all it's all possible. Did you ever have some any nightmares driving? Like, is there anything bad that ever happened while you were driving? Did you ever get into an accident or anything? Or not while I was no. Well, actually, I, I had a, I had my, I had my car break down in New Jersey. I Arpon Basu was with me, and I'm trying to think of who else, and and ended up, um, I forget what it was. I think it was it was a Nissan. Uh, or I think it was a Honda or something like that. But the engine I had was a Japanese engine, and they couldn't find the. I had to leave the car there. Oh wow! And he did a great job of, of fixing it. And I picked it up two days later, wow. and uh, so we were, you know, we ended up renting a car and, and going from there. But um, and one time I had a, a flat tire. I think I think my Arpon might have been in my car that time. <laughs> Arpin's bad luck. That's the best. That's the best one when this car got vandalized in Philly. I remember I was sports editor at the time and I show up in the office and I have my flashing light from my phone and all the messages are like from the NBC affiliate in Philadelphia and this radio station in Philadelphia and whatever else. And they all want to talk to Pat. And I'm like, what the hell's and then I found out his car got vandalized by a bunch of Flyers fans. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, one of the things, they, stole, they stole my license plate. Yeah. So it was interesting coming back home. I got stopped three times on the way back. You know, people wanting to know, you know, don't you know you don't have a license plate in the back? Wow. I said, yes, I know. And I showed them the police report. And that's on wow. my way. Pat, I, I look, I so appreciate your time. I know it's getting a little bit late. I don't know if you got five more minutes for me because I there's just sure. a couple of more questions that I, I top. Uh, yeah. The athlete that you most enjoyed covering? Uh, Jean Beliveau. Uh, that's a great choice, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the, it, a, the athlete that, that, that just you found wasn't pleasant to talk to, more so than any other athlete. Well, I'd say it's a toss-up between Danny Ainge and, uh, and uh, Andre Markov. Markov, eh? Really, eh? He was he was a, a few words. He was a few words, but he was, he... He, was, he was just a very strange guy. You know, it was like it was like a chore for him to, you know, to do an interview. Yeah, he didn't like it. Yeah, I remember I uh, when when I was going there as a reporter and hanging out and um, on uh, game days or whatever and interviewing members of the opposition. Keith Kachuk was difficult. 
Keen, yeah. I, like I just the like I was I think I was almost scarred by him. Like he was difficult. <laughs> and and John Tortorella was 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 a great quote, but he just sometimes he would just lose it over very little, you know, and it yeah. just it, it made the whole thing very uncomfortable. You know, it's kind of like just got the the feeling that he just wanted to end it in a hurry, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the wrong question could set Torts off. Yeah. I never had any problems with him. So yeah, well, we're uh, we're fortunate now, Tony, with dealing with Marty St. Louis. And for people who didn't see what Marty said last night about Pat at the end of uh, the news conference, it was class. It was classy. It was touching. It was really showed the man that Marty is. And uh, you know, they offered Pat the last question uh, at the end of the press conference, and. The questions have basically all been answered already. Pat didn't have a question. And Marty just sort of, he had heard why Pat was leaving and talked about the respect he had for him for the decision he made. And it was a, yeah. a real special moment in the, in the news conference room last and, night. And let's let's bring up a picture if we can here. Uh, let's bring up a picture. Look at that, huh? Huh? Pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. Pat. Uh, he right there. Pat, he, he's, he's, I think he said something to you like, uh, you know, you got five more weeks, and you can ask all the questions you want. Right, and yeah. uh, and uh, I think you told them you were you're getting pretty emotional. How, how emotional was it for you, Pat? It was pretty emotional. And earlier in the day, I, I got I think I got an email from almost every one of my colleagues at the Gazette and some wow. former colleagues. Um, you know, uh, uh, a woman named Catherine Wallace, who I gave her first job to, and she ended up as my boss at the Gazette. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, reading some of those, I mean, I, I teared up. And and then, you know, when when Marty came down and shook my hand and, and you know, I, I, I said, I think I said, I, I think I'm going to cry. Yeah. Wow. I, I was really, it was a very emotional day. Mm-hmm. So we talked about your travel habits. Your favorite city besides New York where you were born and raised was or is? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean New York is is one of my favorites. Um, I know Stu loves Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love Nashville too. Everybody loves Nashville. <laughs> uh, I, I love the two Florida cities. Um, you know, I mean there there aren't too many places in in the NHL that I don't like. I mean, there's some places that are so impersonal. L.A., Anaheim. Um, I, I do like San Jose. Um, you know, Stu and I both have some favorite places there. Yeah. Um, we, uh, well, speaking uh, of Pat writing a travel book, the little hotel in San Jose that he told me to stay at when I was booking through the travel agent, they had never heard of it before. And then when they found it, they went, Oh my God, that's a good rate. And it's like a block away from the hotel. You know, there's, there's lots of, uh, lots of interesting places. I mean, one time in San Jose, I stayed in Gilroy, which is the, which is about fifteen kilometers away, and it's the garlic capital of, of, uh, of California, of the United okay. States. Uh-huh. And, and I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express, and they have a happy hour at night. And normally you get Bud Bud Light, some plonk. Uh, yeah. And but this time, because you're in wine country, they had three or four really good bottles of wine. And they had some craft beers, including um, Belgian, New Belgium, which makes uh, Fat Tire beer. Yeah. It was a very good craft beer. But they had Ben and Jerry's chocolate chip, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream beer. Wow. And I beer. said, I have wow. to try that. And the guy said, yeah, you know, everybody does. But I'm just going to give you a couple of ounces. And uh, it was as terrible as it sounds. Well, I could I can imagine. A quick shout out to matrixhomefitness.ca. Discover a club quality workout in the comfort of your own home. Bring home those treadmills, the elliptical, the bike, the rowers, you name it. Visit matrixhomefitness.ca. Pat, the Montreal Canadiens coach that you thought you had the best working relationship with. Um I think I had a really good relationship with Claude Julian. Um I had a I had a really good relationship with Pat Burns after he was coaching. Um, you know, we, we both lived in the Eastern townships. We spent some time together. Um, we also spent some time together with Bob Berry, who lived in the same area during the summers. Yeah. And, and who I knew from playing at Sir George Williams back in the sixties. So, you know, we would spend some time together in the summer. Um, and, 
Uh, I had a pretty good relationship with Alan Vino. I had a good relationship with Michel Therrien the second time around. The first time was was pretty uh, was pretty uh, was not difficult. very good. So was that the most difficult out of all your relationships with a former Montreal Canadiens coach in terms of just connecting with the coach after the games, asking questions? Was it with Michel Therrien 1.0 or was there another coach that you had a hard I time with? I think it was probably Michel Therrien 1.0. Um, and uh, trying to think of who else was in there. Uh, of course, I had, a, I had a great relationship with uh, um, uh, Jacques Demers. Yeah. Jacques yeah. Demers wrote the introduction for my one of my books. Uh, and we had a really good, we had a really good relationship. Um, it's funny. I remember when he was in Tampa Bay after he left Montreal and we went out to lunch one day and, and uh, he said, uh, for various reasons, Red didn't like him at all. And he said, uh, what do you think my chances of getting into the Hall of Fame are? And I said, Jock, as long as Red's on the selection committee, your chances are zilch. You have <laughs> wow. no chance at all. And uh, but no, Jacques was a good man. I felt a lot of respect for Jacques. Yeah, I've known maybe twelve to fifteen people who were in the Senate. Uh, you know, over the years. Yeah, and and um, when when Jacques. Um, when they had the the uh, expenses scandal, yeah, and and two 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 people that I knew, um, Mike Duffy and Pamela Wallen, who I worked with in Toronto, were both involved in that. And Jacques, to his credit, suggested that you know anybody that got caught up in this should be should be fired, should be thrown into the Senate, mm-hmm. and that took a lot of guts to to do that, and wow. uh, and it took a lot of. It, it took a, a sense of honesty and and integrity, and I was very impressed with that. Pretty cool. That's something you and Jacques have in common, Pat. Yeah, you guys brought up uh, the great uh, Red Fisher on a couple of occasions. I got to tell you, it took a while for him to say hello to me. Like I and, and I, I, <laughs> I said hello, Mister Fisher, at that 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 famous table that you guys were talking about. I said hello, Mister Fisher, and I think like. I don't know if this was like to the day, but I think like one year went by and like pretty much on the one year anniversary that I was a rookie. Yeah. You weren't a rookie anymore. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. Pat, well, uh, uh, Stu talked about your love for tennis before watching and playing. You're going to have some more free time on your hands starting in about five weeks from now. But I know that your knees have been aching up over the years. Uh, are they still good enough to play tennis or golfer? Oh, sure. They've both been replaced. Ah, good, fantastic. All right, there's, so. there's, there's there's metal now. There's no pain in them at all. Oh, that's that's good to hear. So you're going to be playing quite a bit of tennis, I would imagine. Then I, I'm, I'm hoping to. And golf. No, no, no that's not a golfer. I'm not a golfer. <laughs> all right. So t- anything else other than tennis? Um, no, I, you know, your free what? time, Pat. I know you said you you might get into teaching. I know you said there's a book or two you'd like to write, so we know you're going to play tennis as well. How about the comedy career? You started to stand up some years ago. Are you going to continue with that? I'm still going to continue with that. I've 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 found a niche right now. I'm I'm involved with Joey Elias and these uh, the Legion of Friends, and and we've done seven um, fundraisers for the for the Legion Canadian Legion. We did one last weekend. We did one show in Pierrefonds on uh, on Friday night, and then another show at the Dollar Community Center on uh, Saturday night. We raised twenty five thousand dollars. Wow! In two nights. That's and, amazing. Uh, well, so, well. Uh, so we'll continue doing that. As I tell the people, I said, you know, you know, it's an older crowd. I said, you know, this is my kind of audience: older people who drink, and um, so. I just, I just enjoy doing that. And, well, uh, and, well, uh, well, Pat's not a golfer. One of the highlights of the Canadians golf tournament every year was Pat's golfing pants, <laughs> which uh, it would give John Daly a competition. There. That was one of the highlights every year. Are you talking about this? His golfing pants. Let's see if we can bring it up here and yellow and Sammy and master control. Let's see how alert they are. There we go. No, that's not the golfing pants. That's not the golfing pants either, with also the great Herb Zerkowski. It's quite a trio there. 
I think we got one in the golfing pants. Do we have one with the golfing pants? The entire sports department there. That's the full sports department as of now right there is, uh, when the Canes were in the playoffs. Like, I, I, I think we had another pitcher with the golfing pants, and I think we had another pitcher with Pat with his computer or his typewriter. I don't know what it was. And yellow and Sammy and Master Control. Do we have those two other pitchers? There we go. Pat, hold on a second. Hold on to this one. Pat, when was this? It's a long time ago. Wow. That's probably early 80s, I would think, Pat. Yeah. Computer and the Diet Coke bottle there in the background. Yeah. Now, this is this is where? This is in the newsroom? Is this the newsroom? or It's a sports that desk. Might, that might be in Toronto. Oh, is that in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. Really, eh? Wow. I remember, I remember those computers. Yeah, yeah. Diet Coke, was that your uh, your your beverage when on the job, it's Pat? My, it's my caffeine of choice. Uh, that's it, eh? All right, okay. All right. Uh, do we have the one with the golf pants by chance, or we don't have the one with the golf pants? Not sure. They're probably looking for it. I, I think I saw one with the golf pants earlier today. Let me see if I uh, if I uh, if I have it here. Hold on a second. Maybe uh, they have it. Hold on here. Uh, the golf pants. The golf pants. All right. Hold on a second. Here we go. The golf pants. That's them. There we go, huh? Those are those are those are the mattress that I bought in uh I bought in Ogonquit, actually. Wow, quite something. Uh I was invited, I think, one year to play in the Montreal Canadiens golf tournament at Laval sur le Lac. Pierre Boivin was the president at the time. And uh, I'm not much of a golfer. And uh, when it it was a part three probably about 160 yards or whatever it was. And uh, I took my putter and drove with my putter. Uh, he found it pretty funny because I was probably about 20 feet from the green driving with my putter. Mind you, I also broke my putter. But I never got invited to play in the Canadian's golf tournament again. So it was, uh, I think it was my only time. Right? So I, I, thought, I think they were amused, but not overly amused. Pat. In ending, uh, actually, why don't I give a quick shout-out to Playground with over 600 machines, poker tournaments, Playground casino games, daily promotions, unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. Pat, maybe you and I will go together because I got some free time as well. Maybe we'll go play the slot machines one day. But in ending, Pat, any advice you have to young journalists or young aspiring journalists? Well, I mean, just just to be, um, you know, try to be honest, try to try to do the best job you can of uh, of telling a story, communicating with with your audience. Um, aspiring journalists, I would I would probably tell them um, to have a backup plan. And uh, you know, I mean, it's sad to, to say that. Um, I know that. You know, I, I used to speak to a lot of high school career days and CJEP career days, and 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 try to um, I actually tried to steer people away from journalism schools. Uh, I taught journalism uh, at one point, and um, and I thought it was more important to get a, a a broad general education, arts education, history, a little political science. Uh, uh, read and 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 then work for a student newspaper. Uh, I thought that was the best thing to do. For a long time, uh, I worked uh, at the Toronto Star and at the Vancouver Sun. I I was part of the the group that would interview summer students for internships and and uh, and I would also subscribe to all the university papers across the country because then I saw. I saw a copy that hadn't been edited. I saw a raw copy, and I could get an idea of how much talent there was, how 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 people could write without. You now, a lot of times when you get into journalism schools, you you have professors who are massaging, you know, this the finished product uh, that what you see. And uh, I mean, I, I went back, I went back and did a master's in journalism um, when I had been in the business for thirteen years. And uh, it was it was interesting. I mean, Eric Duhatchik was one of my classmates, a guy named Earl Fowler who worked for us at the at the Gazette, and and it was good to get back and and see how young people 
thought and and, and just energized me, um, you know, for that year. And um, but I, I just I just didn't think an awful lot of um, you know I, I thought there was a for the for the year that you put in school. I thought you could have taught people that in four or five months in, in an actual newsroom. Yeah. I hear you. So yeah. It's uh Stu, I know how much you love this gentleman. Everyone does. And uh, I really wanted to have Pat on the sick podcast tonight. And I'm Pat. I'm very happy that you accepted the invitation. Uh, so we can all tell you uh, and you can share your story and we can all tell you how we feel about you. Stu, I really wanted you to be a part of it as well. And so, and that's why I called you to come on and I'm happy you came on and I appreciate that, Tony. Are we going to have uh going away for this uh, gentleman, even though he's not going to be going away, he's going to be with us. We're going to have a celebration of his career. We will definitely have that. We'll have, there's uh, we'll have some plans in the work once we find out exactly when uh, Pat's last game is. And I'll uh, definitely let you know, Tony. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Gentlemen, thanks for taking the time. Pat, on behalf of all Montrealers and all sports fans, Thank you for the love in which you did your job. Thank you for your honesty, and thank you for being as good as you are, uh, both you, at work and in life. takes a special person to do what you did, Pat. You should be very proud. Thank you. Have a great night, gentlemen. Thank you. you. Too, All right, there you have it. Stu Callen and, of course, the great Pat Hickey. I'm Marinero. If you like the podcast tonight, hit the like button, share it with your friends, Tell them about it. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, comment SICK, S-I-C-K. If you're going to be listening on all social media apps, including Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling your love. The SICK Podcast will be back tomorrow night, same time, same place, at 10 p.m. Is it 10 p.m. yet? I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.